good day, and welcome to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, putting the P in professionally managed vacation rentals. This is the Vacation Rental Management Professionals Podcast, coming to you from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and from the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I'm Sarah Bradford from Winter Park and Steamboat Springs. And I'm Tim Cafferty from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and Sandbridge, Virginia. Together, we bring you the first podcast focused solely on professionally managed vacation rentals across the nation, or as we like to call it, Sea to Ski with Sarah and T. In the next 30 minutes, we hope you'll join us on our journey as we dive into issues affecting folks like us, the professional vacation rental manager, allowing you to run your business more effectively, make more money, and most importantly, have fun doing it. We are back and better than ever. Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Sarah. How is it going in the mountains, Sarah? Well, apparently it's going to snow tonight. We have a lot of lifts open, and we're hoping for a lot more snow. How are you doing, Tim? Did, you, did anything big happen since we <laughs> talked last? Well, actually, yes. I finally did it. I married the love of my life. And so Deb is now my wife. Congratulations to me. Congratulations. Where did the big event happen? Well, now that you mention it, was it episode (laughs) nine where we talked about wows? So I tried to pull off a wow. And we went to the famed uh, Biltmore House in Asheville, which is a fabulous resort. And you talked about the Broadmoor in Colorado. I think the Vanderbilt you know, built this house. I think it's the largest house in the country, if not the world. It's got like 270 rooms and thousands of acres. And we got married in the conservatory there and so on. Talk about a wow fail. <laughs> that was my experience with the folks at the Biltmore. Unfortunately, it was just a comedy of errors. And so... You remember we talked about how important it was when you use somebody's name? It's what John DeJulius says that. The most favorite word in the English language is what? Your name. Yeah, did they use your name when you checked in? No, actually. They didn't have my reservation. (laughs) And I said, no. I mean, sorry to put you on the spot, but roughly how much did you spend to get married there? About $8,000 for a two-night stay. Just real quick, how many guests did you have there? How many with you for the 8,000? None. It was Deb and me. And so they're saying, I'm sorry, and I'm spelling the name. It's, no, C-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y. You know, Tim, no, no. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Oh, we have a Deb Griggs here. I'm like, yes, that's, good. that's my fiance. We're going to be married tomorrow. Yes, that's Deb. And so they had put her name, and it kind of, you know how you write things in, and then the software kind of takes the last name and puts it first, and so, and that's kind of how it went. And so, uh-huh. long story made longer. I became Mr. Griggs the entire time we were there because that is the name that showed up on the reservation. You know, table for two, Griggs? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's a comedy of errors. And I was referred to as Mr. Griggs easily. 50 times in 48 hours. And so I decided it is better to not use someone's name than to use the wrong name when you're trying to impress somebody. That is such a good point. And I might, you might have been texting me a little bit telling me about that. So tell them, <laughs> tell everybody your, the incredible gift I gave you after you got married. 
we walked back in, and there was a plate of strawberries there that were wonderful. So congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Griggs. <laughs> Love Sarah and Chris. But I wasn't sure if you would think maybe I just did that, like I did that, or maybe they just did it again, oh, even I, though I got it for the Caffrey. I thought it was for them. I, I, th- I absolutely thought it was them, and then I saw your name. I was like, oh, that's smart ass. But, you know, it, it's a really good point that even these high-end resorts can't figure out how to be personal in the right way. Yes. So if you don't know the person's name or you're not sure, I say don't go for it. It's right. it's it's too risky. Well, I have one more to tie onto that, and I'm sorry, this may be the longest episode we've done so far. But So <laughs> we actually had uh, a pa- a, like a package. We had the elopement package, if you will. Okay, so... That includes the pictures and – well, it didn't include the pictures. That's another story. But at any rate, I would like, had like cheese and sparkling champagne in the room and what have you. And there was this nice portfolio right there too with the Vanderbilt logo and Biltmore on it. I'm like, oh, that is so nice. Look at that. They gave me a portfolio. And then I opened it up, and it was meant for the person who stayed in the night before we were got there. this is unbelievable so miss goforth i have your portfolio if you want to reach out to me i'll get it to you but i'm using it in the meantime remove all personal wow items for the next person so they aren't offended it's a nice portfolio too but anyway and then we kept we getting these nice notes that said you know dear romantic getaway couple well (laughs) It was a little more than a romantic getaway, and that didn't make me feel very special as I was you know, looking. Either they got the wrong name or they got no name, but at any rate. That's what happened to me since we've been together last, Sarah. So um, I'm glad it's, uh, it's behind us, and it will be, give us a great chuckle anytime we think about it. Yes, hopefully you guys can laugh about it, and that means you're meant to be together. Yes, indeed. Um, well, awesome. So speaking of Asheville, since you were there, the podcast today is a special request by one of our listeners who lives in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm not sure he wants me to shout out his name, but he knows who I'm talking about. He came up to me at the Verma conference and said, you know, something I'd love for you to cover is just metrics you guys look at per day, per month, per year. What should I be looking at? What should my dashboard be? And I just, I'm intrigued by this topic. So we went for it and we're going to do that today. Yeah, boy, this is right in my wheelhouse. I love it. So metrics, let me give you a visual image. On the right side of my desk, I have the profit and loss statements for Sandbridge Blue and Outer Banks Blue every week. Behind me, I have a stand-up desk. So behind me on my credenza is my budget. And then I have a dual screen monitor. And on my monitors, I have my productivity dashboard. In every department in the building, there's at least one scoreboard. So Metrics, yeah, baby, we got you covered. Yeah, and if anybody's feeling like they're not like Tim, it's okay. I'm not either. <laughs> it's a good thing. If you saw my desk right now, I have lots of pictures of my kids and my family, and then this complicated podcast equipment, <laughs> and a picture of my team. Um, but deep in my computer, I have all these metrics. And depending but, on how it goes, you may hear some of them pop off here before it's uh, all over because we're still in the business day as we are recording this podcast. But it, this goes back to, first of all, you got to understand why you do this, why, why we measure in the first place. One of the things I've thought of, when I built my business, I built it to sell. And I'm not meaning to say that you know I'm taking on offers, but these metrics are important to know where you stand 
first of all, in your own goals, but also in the marketplace. And you can put a valuation on things much easier if you do have these kind of metrics. I agree, Tim. You know, when you do say, I've made it to sell, people go, ooh, you're selling soon. That's not at all what you're talking about. I mean, someday, even if your kids take over the business and their kids take over the business, it needs to be a company that's run world class. And you can't do that if you're not measuring to goals. Absolutely. These measurements we're talking about also allow you to know when you're getting a little off course and get it back on course. Here at the coast, we talk about the ship, right the ship. Aircraft carrier takes two miles for it to make a turn. If you can tell that you're off course early, you can get it back on much easier to avoid that iceberg. To that point, do you ever feel like days and weeks go by at lightning speed these days? Oh my gosh, just this month. I cannot believe this month is almost over. Yeah, and so what happens is you get deep in your business and the days are flying by and all of a sudden, if you're not measuring and you're consistently looking at this every day, every week, every month, and you are disciplined about it, then a whole month goes by and your ship is heading for South America versus Florida. Yeah. Right? That's so, what it is, yeah. With it. Well, the first thing I think of is something that's come up probably as many times as anything in our podcast is this is number 11, I think we've done, and that is budget. I remember doing a session at the VRMA conference a few years ago, and the conference subject was on ROI, return on investment. And I was up there in front of the room, and there was about 125 people in the room, and we were talking about ROI, and I saw some blank stares in people's face. And so I kind of backed it up to make sure everybody's on the same page. So without, with a return on investment, you've got to know what your goals are, first of all. And so I asked about a budget. Just show hands. How many people in the room operate on a budget? Four hands went up. They were all my employees. I was like, wait a minute, maybe you didn't understand the question. And so I went over it again. And this lady in the front row goes, I had an unbelievable year this year. How am I possibly supposed to predict what I'm going to do next year? (laughs) Wow, you may be in the wrong room got to have an idea where you are and where you want to be. Back to episode number one, the index card. You've got to know where you are and where you want to get be. And so if not, it doesn't matter if you're measuring. A lot of people have said to me, well, I'm just doing so well. It doesn't matter if I have a budget. Mm-hmm. I will never agree with that. If you don't know how you did last month, last year, compared to how you're doing now, your ship can get off course very quickly. So let's get into what we want to measure. I Before we do, though, I just do want you to tell one more story, Tim. Mm-hmm. And I th- it just hit me. Uh, it was pretty powerful about the 30% return guess. If you have a certain amount of return guess and you want to hit, let's say, $10 million in revenue, mm-hmm. t- tell us that story. Yeah, it was Matt Renner who runs a company called Track, and I was at a conference recently where he was talking about ROI as well. He made this analogy and it just hit home so hard for me about how you have to know what that number is on your return guests. And people throw around numbers all the time. Oh, we have so many repeat guests. We have we have 60% return guests. We have 40% return guests. Well, first of all, I always question that. How do you know? Particularly in my environment, we have these very large properties that are almost like resorts. My average house is seven bedrooms in size. And so I have one that's 20 bedrooms. I don't have the same name on the reservation year after year 
even if it is the same group. It's hard for me to say, yes, that's a repeat guest. I mean, I have a pretty good idea, but I don't know for sure. So let's use that analogy as you said. You want to have $10 million in revenue next year, right? And so you, for instance, say, oh, I have a 30% return in guests. Easy math tells you you need to come up with $7 million in new income next year. Wow. Now that's that's kind of a showstopper. And how are you going to do that is the next question. So, And as you get bigger and bigger, you have to ask these questions. Or all of a sudden, halfway through the year, you'll go, huh, I'm only at $2 million. What's going on? Right. Well, you have no idea. So let's get into it. Let's get into it with the weekly. And I'll talk a little bit about what we examine every week. And Tim, chime in. Then we're going to talk about monthly. Then we're going to talk about every six months to a year. And then we are going to go a little bit back to what we look at per day. Mm -hmm. I do find per day is almost too close, too much under the microscope. Yeah. Um, I really like weekly and and, and monthly. I'm going to kick it off. Okay. So weekly, you'll notice that I look a lot of revenue, what's going on. and, And Tim has a nice portfolio where he looks at operationally what's going on too. So he'll add to that. Weekly, we now have an email that Al, my general manager, puts together. It goes over what are our weekly booking goals versus actual. We break that down per day into a daily goal. So let's say you have a booking goal for that week, first week of September. I want to book for this week $100,000 in revenue. Then you break it down per day so that that is something then each day you can go, all right, do we get close or are we getting way behind? So you don't hit Friday and say, oh, my gosh, we're $70,000 behind on this one week. That can get off track fast. We look at every week we look at pacing over last year by month up to that week. Uh, We look at insurance sales. That's a, well, that's, that's a pretty big deal to us in terms of selling. We not only make money off of selling insurance, but our big thing is that when people cancel, when they have travel insurance, life goes a lot better. So we're pushing our sales agents to sell travel insurance. So we look at that per goal to the goal for the week, round up to the month. And then we look at year-over-year ADR, so average daily rate across all properties. We look at the number of bookings, then total nights booked. And then we have what we call red hots we look at each week. And those are properties that are not doing as well as we thought they should be at that point. And then we also look at winners. And those are outpacing last year. So what are the winners and the losers per week? Wow, there's a lot of stuff there, girl. So let me back up and see if I got that. You had weekly booking goals versus actual, and then you had pacing last year versus this year on a week-by-week basis as well as month-by-month. Did you? Ha- is that what I heard correctly? We're looking at how it's going per week, mm-hmm. but it's based on we want to make sure we're higher than the entire month from last year, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. So let's say we're saying, okay, this month we want to do $500,000. We're seeing how we're pacing versus last year to get to that 500,000. Mm-hmm. So let's say last year we also let's say last year we did 450,000. We would look at what pace were we at in week 2 of this mm-hmm. month to get to that last year to the 450 and how close are we now to the 500? Because this is an interesting thing when you start looking at data, you'll notice that every day does not book the same as every other day in a month. So first of all, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are really good for us where Saturdays are slow. But then you'll also notice that certain months, the first two weeks weeks book a lot more than the last two weeks. So for mm-hmm. example, August 
we book a lot of same month sales in the first week of August for the end of August or Labor Day, just depending how it falls. Whereas the last week of August, it's like summer's over and no one's thinking about winter. So you have to know how you pace inside the month. Does that make sense, Tim? It does. And I'm just visualizing my reservation sales manager, Sarah, frothing at the mouth, listening to you going, she's got it. She's got it. Because she preaches this stuff all the time. You know, one thing you do that I don't is the ADR. Because we still are a weekly pricing market. I think we're all going to that ADR now. That average daily rate, the daily pricing is critical. I also love your red hots versus winners. Those are super. And you're, the fact you watch the insurance sales so much, I think so many people think of that as an afterthought. And mm-hmm. you actually see that as a driver. That's super. And actually, the email that gets sent out to everybody shows insurance sales by person and also by somebody we call Webby. And Webby <laughs> is our online sales. And She's Webby great. almost always beats the personal sales mm-hmm. because it seems like it's right in their face. But I feel like our sales agents are always trying to beat Webby. So it's like you're fighting the web. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, there's nothing like a personal recommendation. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I like all of that. I also think weather has a factor when you talk about pacing and what have you. And so, again, back to my gal, Sarah, I ask her to keep one of those, you know, those little pocket calendar things that you get at Walmart or, or whatever where you can't. When you get to be my age, you can't read it because the boxes are too small or whatever. But she does have one of those that we kept and say, you know, on January 13th last year, we booked 94 bookings. But we also put notations in there, snowstorm in northeast. Mm. Those kind of things affect our, our pacing report tremendously as well. And it's important to remember, oh, yeah, we had a lot of calls that week because all these people were st- <laughs> stuck in their houses in our target markets and they were thinking about a beach vacation while the snow is piling up outside or vice versa in your case. So, uh, I'm so glad you said that. That just reminded me that what Al's doing now is he takes notes at all of our revenue meetings. We have revenue meetings once a week and then a big one once a month and he takes notes and so that we can now go back to last year and see what those notes were like, oh, one bedrooms weren't doing well last year or we did this sale last year. And that's why all of a sudden we had so many bookings that last day of the sale. Right. That's important to look at. You also can look at it the other way. This past September was not great for us. If you remember, there were two hurricanes that came along the East Coast around that time. Invariably. When the Weather Channel starts to do nonstop coverage on a hurricane on the East Coast, our phones drop dead. It's like uh-huh. a faucet that somebody switches them off. And it didn't impact our rentals. The hurricane that came through Florida and, of course, up the coast and all through Cuba and so on, it, it, it took forever. It was a 21-day event, and we literally could track the pacing report falling off as people became more interested in the coverage and questioning. I don't know about that beach vacation. Let's wait and see. Yeah. You cringe like that, like I do with the snow news. We say snow news is good news normally if there's snow. But if there's news, it's usually that we don't have snow or they that we don't have the snow we thought we were going to get. And if that gets on national news, we are just, oh. Because then everyone in work where you live, they think we actually don't have snow. We have snow. Mm-hmm. We just don't have five feet of it. And that's like a hurricane coming to hit you. So you, you got to make notes that that happened. Right. So What again, about operationally? Yeah. So that's not the only piece. Obviously, 
sales is important. And what we didn't talk about is how that translates into operational income, which is something we look at very closely here. We actually have weekly meetings on that. Let me just throw this in. We have, uh, we call it our huddle. Once a week, we have an operational income meeting where each department discusses what the goal is for this quarter, where they are right now, and how they're going to get to where they need to be. And we actually look at that every week. We have a meeting tomorrow morning, as a matter of fact, 8.30. Don't be late. And so we hold each other accountable on that sort of thing. And that's where these kinds of things are discussed about why reservations is down or why maintenance didn't make money. But uh, you asked me about operational. And so there's a number of things I look at. I think one of the important ones for me is in maintenance. And maintenance is tough. I was told so many years, oh, we just can't track maintenance. There's just no way you can measure. So we started with a simple thing. How about closed work orders? How many work orders did you close last month? And then so you've started tracking something, right? And so we actually had Stephen Craig, who we've talked about in this podcast several times, come in and do a maintenance consult. And he came in with an idea called zero-based work orders, which has worked very well for us. And the concept briefly is that at the end of the day, you will have no work orders pending other than anything waiting for approval of an owner, anything project-oriented, or anything that came in after a certain time of the day, let's say four o'clock or something like that. And so I will tell you with my tail between my legs a little bit, a year ago, November, we had 975 work orders open in our system. Today, we had our company meeting. We have 11 work orders open. Well done. Because you started measuring it. Exactly. Exactly. Although Forbes magazine evidently came out with a list recently that said, One of the ways you can tell a toxic work environment is like a top 10 thing to look for. And one of them was companies that say, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. I take exception to that. (laughs) We measure everything here. We're not toxic. We have a good time here. But you can measure stuff and you can have specific improvement. And this is an area that's been great for us. And how do you measure housekeeping? Well, there is callbacks. You try to reward the behavior you want. We invited the top housekeepers of the year to our Christmas party, and we recognized them in front of me. And the number one team, I will not name them because I don't want them recruited by my competitors here, but let's just say they had 423 cleans this year and no callbacks. Is that amazing? Are they, are they employees? They are employees. They yeah. are go-to people, but 423 cleans with no callbacks. And you and I have talked about how backbreaking the work is. That is yeah. something to be recognized. And so that's right on the board. Everybody in that, this company knows who those two people are because they're right up on the board when you walk in. And it's kind of like a consecutive game streak or something like that that you hear talked about on the news. It's amazing that they've done that many. But we have several others that had no callbacks and had 150 houses or 200 properties cleaned and so on. So what you want to reward, you should measure. Tim, you also said something important that is that you put it on the wall. Yes. And I said we send out an email. But either way, one thing about measuring is you can't just do it yourself. So to our buddy in Asheville, you can't just look at your own metrics and then hope everyone understands. Mm-hmm. You have to be sharing them, talking about them, and making them very public so everybody knows what they're shooting for. If just the guy at the top understands, it doesn't mean anything. 
But if my reservation agents know we're measuring insurance and they see this public email go out about it or they see on Tim's board that these people are being called out for good work, that has impact on performance even beyond just meeting your goals. So uh, all we've talked about so far is weekly, but we do have more broad range stuff that we do as well. You want to talk about what do you do monthly, for instance? Yeah, so I think getting into weekly just plays into monthly where it doesn't make monthly as complicated. But monthly, we look at, we definitely have a month goal. And then we look up how do we end up for the month versus the goal? And how did it compare to last year? We try to make sense of why we're way up or down and not just go, oh, shoot, we didn't hit it. Or man, we're killing it. You know, but to try to understand the trend of what's going on. And that is also something I wanted to mention. Data is pointless. Measuring is pointless unless you do something with the data. So not just posting it, but what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to go, cool, I don't know why we're doing great, but let's keep just don't change anything. So we meet as a team and we go through that. We also do detailed upcoming month reviews down to the holiday weekends or peak weeks. So you can't just say, okay, our bookings are good because if you don't go into specific timeframes co- coming up and pace that way, then you could do great for the whole year. But for us, like MLK weekends, a big one, you could just go through the whole year and not realize you didn't get many bookings for MLK weekend. And you might say, well, who cares? You did fine. Well, owners don't like to see their place open for those key times. Like you, Tim, for a 4th of July, right? You just think, oh, we're doing great for the summer, but you don't have 4th of July booked or that whole week. It's also an image issue. Then we compare a lot of different segments. So I would encourage you not to just look at your general numbers and not just look at your red hots or your winners, but look at segments like how are the large homes doing versus the smaller if you have differences there. Or how, for us, we say, how's the base area doing versus downtown versus this other area of Winter Park or Steamboat? How is downtown doing versus the the resort area? Talk about that, Tim, from a beach point of view. Here, it. All is all about the domino theory, ocean front, semi ocean front, ocean side between the highways. Kind of goes front to back. So we we do have to be patient, and we have to teach patience in certain areas because you can't change the location of a property. And so, particularly when you have a newer owner, there's a lot of training involved in that. But again, you want to make sure that your trends are not only year to year looking similar and hopeful positive. But you also have to look at your competitors' data, which we haven't talked about. And there are some tools out there. It seems like there's more tools every day. But it is important to know what the seven-bedroom oceanfronts are doing in my area or the houses in the Nags Head area are doing or Sandbridge Beach, Sand Fiddler Road or what have you. Whatever category you come up with, it's important to know where you are versus last year. It's also important to know where you are versus the market. And a lot of people are doing some scraping of websites, but there are some tools out there now to help you do this as well. You know, Tim, and even if you don't use fancy tools and you just are sitting there thinking, oh, I'm a smaller company, I don't know how to do all of that. Sometimes I just get on the big competitors' websites and do searches. And you can do a lot just spending 30 minutes on there. Don't tell anyone, but we don't have a ton of snow in Steamboat or Winter Park. But I was concerned because normally we're pretty booked December 21st to 24th, that that time frame before Christmas. And I thought, oh, this is bad, you know. So I went on a competitor's website 
in Steamboat and I searched those dates and they had 95 properties wide open. I thought, well, this is a trend. This isn't mm -hmm. just me. So I think you can do a lot just nosing around in on other sites. Right. That's exactly what I was referring to. We know what percentage of our inventory we have available, but we also know what the competitor's percentage of inventory is. And so we do measure that on a at least monthly basis. So let's talk about every six months to a year. Okay. And this would be a, a wider look. Tim, go ahead and start us out. Well, you need to make sure you're looking at that budget thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you do have some goals, and how are we doing versus those goals. Now, my budget, obviously, is operational. I, I want the money that I'm going to get from commission and fees and travel insurance and all those sorts of things, but it does relate to all these day-to-day metrics that we're giving you. We want to make sure that you're looking at it over the course of a year and over the course of six months, making sure you are well aware of any trends. And the other thing is what changes in the industry has taken place that may impact your business as well. We should do a podcast on that coming up soon. How about a not so hot off the press thing in a few minutes? One thing about looking at your budget versus actuals, this takes a lot of work, especially if you have a budget that's pretty detailed of different uh, where you're putting all your expenses and your revenue pieces. I don't know about everybody out there in podcast land, but vacation rental profit is not as high as some owners like to think it is. Yeah, right. If you get off too quickly on your budget, if you get if you don't write the ship quickly and your payroll all of a sudden goes too high or you're not watching your costs on towels and this and that and you don't look at your budget versus actuals for three months, maybe three months of your key spending time, you can get back to it and go, uh-oh, exactly. we're not even going to make money this year. So I think the budget versus actuals is the absolute number one thing you should look at per month, but definitely dig in deep every three to six months to say, oh man, I should call and ask for a better rate on my phone service, or I need to figure out why this is so out of control. And each department looks at their budget versus actuals at our company, and it it makes them more aware and thoughtful about spending money too because they're seeing that there's an actual number associated to this versus grab the credit card use it mm -hmm. it's so easy not to do this and i know some people are listening to us going oh well you have all these people working for you and this that and the other i'm telling you i am neck deep in the in season i sign every check there is no stamp with my signature i sign every check and it is easy to just sign blindly but when you see $10,000, you'd better stop and go, what, what, what's this for? <laughs> so I just, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more, Sarah. My accountant recently said, you are not going to have a stamp because we wanted to get a stamp since there were so many checks. And mm -hmm. I have gone back to looking at each check more de in a detailed way and questioning. Uh, so good point there. The last thing is probably not something Tim looks at as much since he's not as reliant on third-party listing sites. As we've talked about before, my company's about 30% listing sites. But I do think every six months, you should look at the following. And that's your percent of revenue from third parties. Then I think you should look at the percent of revenue from each third party. Like dissect that. Say, okay, is Airbnb, are they gaining traction? Is VRB going down? Just last month, we noticed the Airbnb went up six points and VRBO went down about seven points. And then question, why is that happening? What's going on? The percent of third-party revenue by property type, is it more one-bedrooms that are booking on Expedia, for example, or is it more large homes on VRBO? So you can come up with the right strategy around that. 
And then I like looking at average stay value on third parties versus your in-house bookings and watching trends there over time. Again, this is not something you can look at every day or even every week. It would vary so much. But when you're looking at every six months, you get a more aggregate view of the trend and you can decide where to put your marketing dollars. I love it. All good stuff. Time to move on to our not so hot off the press, but definitely happening because it's a big one this week. I just can't imagine what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Could it be home away? (laughs) (laughs) What is it, Tim? Well, I think uh, most everyone in the vacation rental business is a little stirred up about an email that went out last Thursday. And Amy Highnote, our friend who helped us on our last podcast, sent an article out from the VRM Intel talking about the new concept of, first of all, the listings going up 25%, basically. And then the second part of that is the reaching into your data, that they are now going to charge an offline booking fee, air quotes, for someone who came to HomeAway, found inventory, did not book it through HomeAway, may have gone to you directly to book, whether it be the same house or another house, and they are what we call in real estate sales claiming procuring cause. They were the procuring cause of the sale, and so they are due a commission of up to 10%. And I, I don't even think it's up to. I just think it's 10% is what they're saying. Well, they've used some language that's confusing. <laughs> so let's just say they, they <laughs> so said that they would be equivalent, it. it would be equivalent to the traveler fee of up to 10%. So yeah, you can pretty much count on as 10%. This is a complicated topic, Tim. You and I have talked offline about this and we're even both confused. So I'm going to give some thoughts on this and I'd love to hear from people on our Facebook page or you can write to us privately. Our Facebook page, of course, is C to Ski with Sarah and T. So here's the deal. If you used pay per pay per booking, that model and not subscriptions, they've had this situation set up for like a year now. That if you use paper booking and then you book them offline, they were charging this 10%. I forgot to tell you that before, Tim. Mm-hmm. If But they weren't doing with the subscription. So it was a very reliable thing to do a subscription knowing if you paid your 300 whatever dollars, which is now going to be 400 whatever dollars, that's your fee. There's not going to be anything more. Yes, the poor guest has to pay their percentage, but you're not going to pay more. What they're saying now is they're going to go in and look at your apparently can see your data to see if an email matches. The thing that's hitting me about this is I don't use a home away vacation rental software, meaning I don't use Escapia or Property Plus or whatever the other ones are. I use an independent vacation rental software company. According to my independent vacation rental software company, the integration I have with them only sends home away the online bookings I get through home away. They don't send home away my regularly booked bookings. Okay, we call them STAs, standard bookings. And they swear they're not sending it. So if you use home away software, vacation rental software, to me this is like screaming that you should switch because they're obviously, if it's a home away owned software, they're going to look at all of your data and you're paying 10% for those bookings, which could be quite a bit. I've seen some talk on Facebook, on some others, those say no to VRBO sites that say that VRBO is gladly looking at your data and telling you how much this would have been for last year because somehow they can see that. So that's creepy. The big thing that Tim brought up that I think we all need to be asking is 
Is that true? Is my statement true that if you're using an independent software company, are they telling the truth that they're not giving home away the data? You'll know really quick because you're going to get a bill for 10%. Or if they are telling the truth, but then HomeAway comes and says, okay, but Sarah, you can't use subscriptions anymore unless you tell independent vacation rental company that they will open this up for us to see. You can't use subscriptions. That's where I think maybe the massive fear is. That's where did my I mind summarize went. Yeah, right? I think you did a great job of that. That's where my mind went immediately. I am sure that HomeAway does not want their people to leave their platform, so to speak. And so this platform word is what came up. I did not actually, I've read the message a few times. I did not read that it was was exclusive to those products of software that they're using. And so my mind immediately went to the terms and conditions that they require you to sign off on when you put a subscription on their site. And is there language in there that would require, for instance, Sarah, your software provider to give them that data? Because your provider basically says, I'm not going to tell them anything unless you tell me it's okay. Well, do they have a piece of paper that says, oh, no, Sarah said it was okay right here. Mm -hmm. See, she signed this box right here. So, yeah, give me that data. I don't know. Just saying. That's the scary part if they do that. And I know they're listening to this, so we're kind of laying out their plan for them. (laughs) Well, But here it just gets back to what we've talked about on almost every podcast about marketing. Get independent because what they're saying is, no, 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 we're not going to let anybody reverse Google you anymore. Even if they find you, we're going to charge you. And if you're too dependent on VRBO listings and you can't turn off the crack, then you just raised your marketing costs. I mean, it could go up $50,000, $100,000, depending on your revenue. It's scary. And a lot of people have predicted this for a while. And so... I can hear all of you in my head saying, don't do it, Sarah. Don't <laughs> list on there. <laughs> I will say that I'm noticing more and more people are finding out about the traveler fee. They're booking with us directly. Like I told you, VRBO bookings for us went down seven points last month. There's something There's something in the water, hopefully, that's shifting. But maybe we'll get into that at our next podcast, which might be a predictions episode. Oh, we'll make it that. It's the end of the year. You got to do a prediction. So there you go. And you know which podcast that will be for us? What? It'll be number 12. And so that reminds me of something. I am not going to sing a three and a half minute version of this, but do you remember the song, The 12 Days of Christmas? No, I've never heard that before. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's this song, and it's involving a partridge in a pear tree and five golden rings. So I was thinking the other day about the 12 takeaways from the podcast known as Sea to Ski with Sarah and T. (laughs) So so I'm going to run through this, and hopefully you'll hang with me and maybe entertain. This is like a surprise serenade. It is. So on the 12th, we're going to start with the 12 and wind it down. So be with me. Pretend as though I said on the first takeaway of the podcast known as Sea to Ski, I said that I am not the face of my company. And so now we go to the 12th takeaway of our podcast called Sea to Ski. Make sure your owners don't sell you out. 11 blood-porn pathogens. (laughs) (laughs) The 10th is to protect your data. 9 is OTA independence. 8 is to keep your owners happy. 7th, is to wow your guests. 
six is if our podcast is not going to be recorded at VRMA, we would have made other arrangements. <laughs> and the fifth is what is your Malik level? <laughs> Four is our listeners are awesome. Three is we did one in Uber. And two is the Ford philosophy. And the first takeaway is that I am not the face of our company. And you're a great singer. <laughs> How many <laughs> listeners do you think we just I don't lost? know. I think we're tuning <laughs> them out right now. It. Oh, my. Thank you, Tim. That okay. was very special for me. Oh, I'm glad. All right, so we'll have uh, more predictions for you in our next episode. Uh, this one went on longer, but I think we had more meat in this than we've had in several. So hope everybody yeah, enjoyed clearly, it. Clearly, we're not measuring our time. Get it? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Right, we're going to sum it up. Go ahead. Sum away. Let's do it. We're going to sum up quick because we want to be true to our format, even though we're not true to our 30-minute time slot. All right. Here it goes. I'm not going to sing it. You <laughs> measure. Uh, we think you should measure. First, you need a budget. Budget, budget, budget. You know that's important. You're feeling guilty if you don't have one, and you should make one. Weekly. You need to be looking at your weekly booking goals versus actual pacing over last year, insurance sales, year-over-year year, average daily rate, number of bookings, total nights booked, look at the properties not doing well, name them something. We named them Red Hots. And the winners. We need a name for our winners. I don't know. You can have mm. to help me with that, Tim. Mm, okay. I'll think on that. And then all of the goodies that Tim mentioned for measuring and operationally, housekeeping, callbacks, maintenance. I wrote down, that was a pullover and write that down moment, and it was called zero-based work orders. What mm -hmm. a cool idea. Measuring what you're doing in marketing and putting up your metrics and advertising them to your staff, whether it's by email or it's physically in the office on the walls. And then monthly, reviewing how did you do against the goal, looking at peak weeks, looking at things like Tim said, is there a hurricane in the forecast, making notes so you can go back and say, why did we dip down so much? Looking at different categories, making sure you're looking at your competitors. Are they doing poorly too? Or are you doing a lot better and why? Then every six months to a year, looking at those third-party listing reliances, metrics, looking at your budget versus actual making corrections quickly so that you can actually make a profit in this business. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what we're going to leave you with. But remember, if you, me you measure everything, but you don't do anything with it, it's pointless. Great. There's a joke there somewhere, but I, I'm not going to bite. I'm just going to wish you a Merry Christmas. Jokes. <laughs> I'm just going to wish you a Merry Christmas, Sarah. Merry Christmas, Tim, and Happy New Year. Okay. So long, everybody. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, Professional Vacation Rental Managers Podcast. Brought to you by Sarah Bradford of Winter Park Lodging Company and Steamboat Lodging Company, as well as Tim Cafferty of Outer Banks Blue and Sandbridge Blue Realty Services. Together, Sarah and Tim manage more than 600 privately owned vacation rental properties, and both are regarded as experts in the vacation rental management industry. Music provided by Ben Sound. We encourage your participation on this podcast by sharing it with friends, and please feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Comments or reviews on this particular podcast can be made on their website, Sea to Ski with SarahNT.com, where you can also subscribe to the podcast as well as provide them feedback on this episode or give them ideas for future topics. We look forward to speaking with you next time on Sea to Ski with Sarah and T.